The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is musician Rianne Downey. We talk about Rianne starting out as a busker in Glasgow and becoming a recording artist, going on to work with people like James Skelly of The Coral. Rianne explains how lockdown forced her to reflect on some personal issues and make changes for the better. And we talk about plans and aspirations for the future as the world begins to open back up. This episode is brought to you by Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you want a free chat with an impartial advisor, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net or listen to my episode with Tommy Gallagher where we discuss the stigma surrounding debt in society and the various options that you have to deal with it. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it because it's a great help. Cheers. Somebody was asked, uh, which artists are you most excited about right now? Do you know who was speaking about you yesterday? This will be 22nd of March, to be precise. I have no clue. James Skelly for The Coral was asked, who are you excited most about right now? And he said, Rianne Downey. Uh, she is from Glasgow. Her music is like a country take on indie, and her single Fuel to the Flame is great. How does that feel to go for busking to somebody like that, just randomly talking about you in an interview? <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely mental. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> Adam Miller, known as Old Firm Facts on Twitter, he actually had the question, so I suppose I'll I'll start in with his. What was it like to, to work with him? What impact has he had on your sound? James Skelly is somebody that I've grew up listening to. I feel mm. like he's a crucial part of a lot of people's lives, his music. And actually like turning up to a studio and he's handing me a Martin guitar and being like right let's go in let's get yeah. this done it's dead surreal but it totally spurs you on it spurs you on a creatively it spurs you on to be better at what you're doing and he totally brought out the best in me do you take it in your I'm, I'm sure you do take it in your stride but do you ever stop and kind of think fucking hell like, <laughs> like basically just that do you ever stop and think fucking hell I can't believe this is happening Right now, I'm doing that. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> that is so funny. That's amazing. I mean, that's not to say it's absolutely not deserved, but to go for, you know, for busking in the streets of Glasgow in, in a very short space of time, it's it's quite something. It definitely is. It's, I guess, every single day is a bit of a pinch me moment. Every mm -hmm. time I wake up, I'm like, this is my life and yeah. I can just get up and write songs that people are listening to and work with people like James Skelly and the fact that he's actually saying like he's excited about the mm -hmm. music that I've created it's it's dead rewarding well we'll kind of go chronologically and we'll find out how we got from for the, the very first points to to now so I mean talk me through growing up I know it's such a, a like a lazy question what was <laughs> life like for you when you were younger but let's get an idea a, a sort of sense of that so I grew up in a wee town called Bells Hill and I've always been into music since I was any age. That's something that it's just it's just always got to me, and it's the one thing I've always been 
good that my mum and dad have a brilliant taste in music mm. and my gran and papa they're dead into their ballroom dancing so um, that got me into like all the kind of 50s 60s mm-hmm. and the kind of country stuff um, and then my mum and dad got me into ska which then got me into like 80s music then mm-hmm. into 90s um, so I've always been kind of surrounded by music but I was kind of the only musical one in my family I think that's one of the best the best things your family can give you is music taste and like everybody, every different character in your family gives you that wee bit of something different and then that then goes on to form your taste. Were you When you say you're the only musical one, what was your sort of first step into musical expression? So my first step, I guess you could say, was... Um... I, I would sing all the time. Mm. I could kind of I could sing before I could speak. It was <laughs> that was like my way of expressing myself when I was away, and I would practice songs in the house. Like my mum would like download a song on iTunes or well on LimeWire. If <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to say that, are you allowed to say that? <laughs> um, so we'd get that, and then she'd print out the lyrics for me, nice. and then I'd be standing in front of my mum and dad singing a song, and then. I think they kind of realised she's quite good. So <laughs> they sent me to singing lessons mm. um, and I absolutely loved that. But the first the first song I sang um, on my first singing lesson was Girlfriend by Avril Lavigne. So it took a wee bit of a turn I know, then. slightly different. That sounds like a really happy house. Like, you know, your mum downloading the, the the song and printing the lyrics and then you singing it. it has has your home life has that played a big part in and I'll come on to this, but making you feel comfortable enough to really go and, you know, do what you want? I definitely. My family's always been dead, dead supportive of mm. me. I guess in a way they could see the kind of drive that I had and yeah. how much passion I had for music. And I think they were just kinda of like, we're not gonna deprive her of something mm. that she loves and something that she could make something of herself with so which point does does it start to feel or, or was it just from the beginning that you thought this is something I want to go and do, this is how I want to spend my days basically it's always been music I, I guess once you get older and you go into high school and things like that and mm. you're getting pushed to go to uni or have like a kind of normal 95 job or whatever yeah. you do start to think right how how achievable is this but no matter what all through school when I was trying to like do well at my exams and trying to find a kind of passion I just always fell back to mm-hmm. music it almost felt wrong not to do it Aye. it was it's in me sort of thing I like that just just following what feels na- most natural there's the whole west of Scotland slagging culture that we kind of talk about and you know people having a pop at anybody doing something different did you ever kind of encounter that or did people just think oh that's Rianne she's, she's into her music and leave her be I'm quite lucky that a lot of people around me, the I guess you could say the people that mattered, mm-hmm. they were always dead supportive. It was one of the things that I don't I don't know if they always thought like she's gonna do something mm-hmm. with herself mm-hmm. or what, but I I was quite lucky in the sense that people just kinda let me do my own thing. But there definitely is that it is total west of Scotland, like slagging Aye. culture <laughs> where like everything you're doing is totally tainted by that and you're constantly questioning yourself and you know that there's a lot of people that don't want you to do well not mm-hmm. not out of like nastiness it's just that like, nobody believes that anybody's capable of anything other than I guess like your mm-hmm. your usual 
I suppose, because I, I suppose it's it's what you see and kind of what you see around you. And if anybody does something slightly different, you're like, oh, well, wait a minute. I, I mm-hmm. think I probably, I think everybody would at some point have been guilty of it in the past. And I think if you're honest with yourself, it's more so that you're like, it's it can be easier at times to hope that everybody just stays in line instead of you trying to go forward and do something a bit different. Uh, definitely it's a comfort zone thing mm. everybody wants things to stay the same and wants to stick with what they know mm. and when someone that you know or just anybody about you when things start to change or people start to prog- progress you're like hold on a minute <laughs> aye, aye. <laughs> this, this, this isn't sitting right with me I don't like this what was um, when, when did you first start busking? So I started busking when I was 15 so I was quite young mm-hmm. Um and I thought, I thought this is it. Like I knew, knew how to take on the world and everything <laughs> like that. But as soon as you start actually busking, it's like everything that you know is totally turned on its head. How how difficult is it to actually get started? Because in my mind, I could just go and get a guitar and just go and be Cannon Street <laughs> and just start. I mean, I'd get stuff long at me within two minutes because I'm <laughs> terrible, right? But I feel like I could just go. Would is there a, a process? Do you need to go and apply to to be able to do it, or can you just pitch up? You can just pitch up. There's certain rules, which is that you need to stay a certain amount of distance away from another busker. You can't be too loud, things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, there's no uh, there's no designated spots you need to sign up for. There is obviously the better spots that everybody wants to get to. Um, so it is actually it actually is quite simple. Um, and I was quite lucky that I busked with Dylan John Thomas who already had been a busker for mm-hmm. a couple of years so he had all the all the equipment and all that stuff yeah. so that was quite good mm-hmm. it's um sometimes I could be guilty of not even a snobbish way but see sometimes if you're going to Buchanan Street and it's um you're hearing the same guy singing the same song that you've heard every day for three weeks you're like oh my god I wish he would sing something new or get a rest see after having we're now officially one year in lockdown. Happy birthday to the worst <laughs> year of our lives. Um, and it's kind of got me thinking a wee bit, like, so maybe being like a money old guy, how much I can I wait to, to hear that again? How much, how important do you think it is to, to have people busking in the streets? Because, I don't know, it's it just gives a, it's like a, I don't even know the words I'm looking for here, but it just gives a sort of unique... I don't know, edge, flavour to just everyday life, you know, walking through the streets. So, I mean, what's your thoughts uh, on it? Definitely. I I guess it's one of the ones, it's like, it's what you know mm. as well. Um, especially in Glasgow, like, there's so many buskers and I think a lot of people assume that there's always going to be buskers in Glasgow and when you're walking about and the streets are dead and yeah. there's like, it's like an eerie silence it almost. Is. And even though you do hear like the same songs all the time and stuff like that and you're like oh no no again but you realise that that's what makes life in Glasgow and that's what brings Glasgow to life and I'm dead excited to hear the same the same tunes over and over again now me too me too there's nothing better just like a a sunny Saturday morning everybody's buzzing cafes are setting up the outdoor bars are setting up there's music like I just can't wait for that day to come back oh I've done for a few years talk about I can't wait for this to come back <laughs> I can't wait for that to happen is um, what are the what are the difficulties of, of busking or like 
it must refine you like as a performer do you feel like under pressure or do you just go out and enjoy it you definitely feel under pressure because you're not playing to people that want to hear you that's true eh? you're just playing to anybody Mm -hmm. and more than not people are just going to walk past you Um, Mm. and it definitely helps you build a thicker skin yeah as a sort of resilience god I mean I would I would freak out singing in front of one person I like, I'd have to be 10 vodkas deep to, <laughs> sit, like, to sing karaoke. Um, do, do you make, do people stop? Does, yeah, I give money to people when I go by. Is that, like, is that, is that your aim? See, when you first go out, obviously you, you're wanting to go and perform, but was it, did you see this as a way to make money and do what I enjoy, or was the money like a sort of secondary thing? At the start, because I was so young, I wasn't really thinking about the money. It was more so like, oh, I could make a wee bit of money. Yeah. Um, but you're also performing, so mm. it was like two positives. But the first time that I busked, I made I made a good bit of money. I made like a hundred quid in a Did day. I, was, to be fair, it was odd and healthy there. But <laughs> <laughs> but like that day when I done that, I was like, oh my god, I can make money Aye. doing what I love, and you feel like you've earned it. So it it definitely gives you a drive, the money. But performing is definitely like the most rewarding Aye. thing about it. That must be like a really good positive reinforcement to get that so early on to think well hold on a minute because I think a lot of people until if you can't see a direct pathway to make money or make a living you'd think well it's a hobby and it's something to enjoy but work is something separate and when those two things kind of merge so early on you'll be thinking oh shit there is something actually really on here so then I suppose the next graduation would be playing live gigs or like open mic nights like what was your first foray into that type of thing? So my first kind of like throwing myself into actually playing live was open mic nights. Um, again with Dylan, we'd go to the the cathedral house. Um, they'd have a an open mic night. I think open mic night. That's actually <laughs> quite hard to say. To <laughs> That's me without a drink. <laughs> um, so they'd have that. I think it was like every Friday. So we'd go there and he'd play guitar and I'd I'd sing my song and it definitely helped like, with. Mm-hmm. playing live um, because I always got a dead good reception which right. was lovely um, and then the Pride as well we'd do some open mic nights in there um, and then from that I started playing pub gigs right. um, once I turned 18 so that that was always good but it kind of led on to supporting Dylan at like King Tut's and then on his UK headline mm-hmm. tour and that was like proper ticketed gigs I was on a stage and that well, it was class. It was class. Moving on to that, uh-huh. I, I, I was at the the King Tut's gig uh, that you were performing at, and it was, I mean, hats off to Dylan. It was absolutely brilliant. I had the place rocking. But also, when you came on, there was a often when you if there is a, a support actor or somebody who's also on, they'll get a good positive reception. But it's not quite the same. Whereas you had the place equally as rocking. I remember kind of looking about and thinking, fucking hell, this is absolutely amazing. Whether it was singing like uh, Johnny Cash and June Carter Jackson or even some of your own tracks, like it was it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, did that feel like, did you kind of think, oh, this is a step up now? Or did it, and feel free to say this, did you think, no, this is this is normal, this is how it's supposed to be? Like, <laughs> I, like finally, you are catching up with where, where I'm kind of. Uh, it definitely felt like a step up, mm. um, and from there I was like, I kind of, I kind of realised that wow, like I've, I've got 
something happening here and right. I've not even released any music. It was dead surreal and I wasn't expecting it. But once that moment kind of happened, I was like, right, I'm going to get the head down and mm. hopefully like, one day it'll be me headlining King Tuts mm-hmm. um, because the reception was like amazing. Um, but it's just trying to remind yourself that you're capable because you're yeah. not going to be playing to crowds like that constantly. So it's easy to forget whether you can do it or not sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like there's there's highs, there's been so many highs and more that we'll speak about, but there's, I can always say, when you hit real highs, you have to keep yourself somewhere in the middle because the highs, you naturally come back down. And there's also wee dips that come and you naturally come back up and it's why it's good to sort of stay just middle of the road. Um, not to say don't enjoy the, the good times and all that. I suppose the last year has been the perfect example. How do you keep yourself going how do you keep yourself sort of motivated when you know the, the world is shut your bread and butter isn't it possible you can't go and perform anywhere it's definitely soul destroying mm. for everybody um but as a musician it's i don't even have words it mm. is like your life's just came to a halt and at the start of lockdown i really really struggled um to be honest i have always kind of struggled with like mental health issues and stuff like that and for a couple of years before I kept saying to myself right I'm going to write I'm going to throw myself into this I'm going to put myself out there but I always held myself back because I guess you just get into a rut of thinking I'm not capable or you get mm-hmm. really down and it let it stops you and when lockdown hit obviously that got worse because you're just stuck 24-7 with your mind yeah. and when you're a harsh critic and when you don't have too much like self-esteem and things like that it's really really easy to just get in a rut and mm-hmm. just feel so so low that you're not like kind of worthy or capable of doing anything so the start of lockdown was really hard for me but when kind of summer hit um, and a lot of changes happened in my life I guess you could say I just kind of took control and I started speaking about how I felt and kind of like cut out the people that were bringing me down mm-hmm. and things like that everything kind of shifted and I managed to make this negative time into something really positive and I realised that instead of oh I've got all this time stuck with my mind and like kind of falling victim to it I was like right I'm going to make the most of all this time that I've got Mm -hmm. and do something to make a difference to my life and hopefully other people's as well harnessing that energy I think people will be really surprised not surprised because you know people will be understanding but I think for the outside looking in you're this I suppose you are, but just a completely steadfast, set in your mind, know what you're doing, very confident, here's who I am, here's my music. Uh, and I wonder if it'll be, I don't want to say reassuring, like, oh, by the way, people will be delighted to hear that you are in struggling. That's great news. <laughs> but sometimes when you hear that, you kind of think to yourself, oh, fuck, aye, 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 okay, so it's not, it's not just me, like, we're all going through this sort of brutal time, but then it... The, what I like to hear is the 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 light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. or sort of taking control and uh, and using it in a positive way. You mentioned there about speaking um, about how you feel. That, that's different to everybody, I suppose. But how? What is that by definition to you? Speaking about how you feel, speaking to who? How do you express it? So, I mean, like it's it's hard to kind of put into. I know I've just put you in this spot there. <laughs> um, but I did, I did end up speaking to like a psychologist mm-hmm. um, 
and things like that. Um, so that helped having an outside perspective and someone yeah. that you could speak to with full confidentiality and someone that helps you kind of understand yourself. Um, it's in a way like now that I've said that, I'm like, oh god. <laughs> like, no, don't. Well, I'll 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 take the heat off you then. So my pal. Uh, a pal of mine who will remain nameless uh, has you know he's worked with like a therapist for years and uh, now and again because what it's like is you have for me anyway right so this is just my experience sometimes there can be like a thought that's like circulating in my mind it'll be something trivial right something really innocuous um, and pure inconsequential really to anything and uh, but it'll be constantly swimming in my mind and if you add loads and loads of it becomes this mad fog in my brain uh, if there's loads of these wee things mm -hmm. and basically he would kind of help me with how to talk about things or how to express them or rationalise them and then when I would get them out in a way that was very simple but effective using whatever these techniques that he's kind of explained to me once they're out I forget them I can't remember what they are. They're so, and it makes me laugh because I'm like, these are things that bothered me for years, and now I can't even remember what they are. So you're like, they obviously weren't that massive or yeah. that big a deal, but talking about them properly and sort of expelling them, getting them out, it lifts this massive weight off your shoulders. I think it's a really positive thing and a brave thing when people say they spoke to a psychologist or a therapist because, let's be honest, right. It, f it, is, it isn't, but it feels like a bit already. Aye. Genuinely, like, I was, aye. once I said that, I was aye. like, oh no. But no, but, but don't. <laughs> and I think it's it's important to, like I always kind of go on about saying, it's very tasteless and a bit already when people try and shoehorn mental health yeah. um, as a subject into conversations because it's fashionable because you think oh people will respond positively to this or maybe I'll get some backslaps but when it naturally comes up in a conversation I think it's really positive and a really selfless thing to go right okay I'll, I'll kind of take that we ready for a wee <laughs> bit but you know that right that's it it's passed nobody's going to be thinking about it again however there could be somebody listening who'll think I think I might do that and then the positive impact that, that that can sort of reverberate and the ripple effect it can have is is great did you think that having those conversations did it take a sort of weight either a cloud out of your mind or a weight off your shoulders and then sort of energize you into thinking all right now I can go and do these things that I've been wanting to do because I don't have this holding me yeah, back definitely I spoke to a psychologist um for a good bit of I think it was about a year and a half and it definitely helped me and it helped me understand what was going on in my head and it mm -hmm. helped me voice things um, and that definitely helps take away off your mind but I always kind of kept it secretive from my family and people that were really close to mm -hmm. me again because it is a bit already and I guess like as you said people would be quite surprised to see like mm -hmm. that I feel like this because on the outside, to be fair, I, I have got a good face for the world. I, I'm, I've always been like that. I mm -hmm. just grin and bear it and get on with it. Um, not that there's anything wrong with not doing that. It's just that's the way I kind of cope. to the road, Yeah. Um, so I, I was talking to my psychologist, blah, 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 but there was just something. There was still this cloud there. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, I think I knew I had to talk to my family about it, but 
it's that way you never want to worry people you never want to be a burden or a nuisance which is one of the things I did struggle with was thinking that mm -hmm. um, but eventually in lockdown I guess it came apparent to my family just how bad a place I was in and they came out and asked me like are you feeling really really down mm -hmm. blah 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 um, and that's when I said yeah because there was no point in lying and honestly from that day just the people that you cared about knowing that you feel this way and then them responding in a way that's not negative like you'd expect yeah. definitely takes a total weight off your mind. I there's a there's a real distortion of reality in your mind when you're sort of trying to anticipate or imagine how people will react, and and re if you flipped it around, the people who love and care about you, and this applies to everybody. If you think of the people who love and care about you, if you think how much you love and care about them, and if they came to you and said like I'm feeling this way or this is happening and it's impacting me in this way, you'd probably, a wee bit of you would die because yeah, you'd be definitely. like, oh my God, I don't want you thinking you can't say to me. Like you would drop everything for, for the people that you love and the reality is they would also drop everything to, to kind of do the same for you. So it's it's not easy. Um, it's difficult. I, I mean, I'm sitting here saying, do this, do that. <laughs> I, I still also... I'm terrible. Like it takes for people who know me really well to be like, "What is up with you?" Because you're just yeah. know yourself, and I can't hide it. But I won't say. I kind of go inwards, and I just shut everybody off. Not in a way of being like, um, "Oh fuck, every single one of you." But it's just more. I just need to hide away, or else I people will kind of see that. But it's a. It really is a really brave thing, and I don't mean it in a patronising way. Like, wow, you are so brave and brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it is, because it isn't easy. It's much easier to just kind of batten down the hatches, grin and bear it, get on with it, and it kind of passes. But until you properly resolve things or, or even acknowledge things, it's never going to really go away. It'll always kind of come back. Uh, and just expressing how you feel is, um, is a, a massive thing. Does that now come out in your songwriting? Can you can you refer back? Actually, do you know what? Caitlin Thompson uh, got in touch and she her question exactly was, where do you get your inspiration when writing songs? Is there a certain place you like to go? So basically, we both asked the same great question, but she just worded it a little better. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my kind of... don't know how to say it without sounding cringy, but like no, it's my not, story. <laughs> that is just... That is the one I like. That, that's your... Make sure your, your yeah. book has been written and has continued to be written. So there you go. That's a nice way to put it. Continuing to be written. <laughs> fuck me. Continuing to be written. There you go. I said I, I said it in a wankier way than you did. So I'm, I'm taking the heat off you. Uh, both sitting where I did here. Um, <laughs> My face is actually getting hot. <laughs> um, so I, when I'm writing, I definitely write about like, my story and things that are mm. very personal to me. Um, and... At first, writing was a way of coping, I guess you could say. Um, I didn't properly start writing until like, I, I told everybody, like all the people that were close to me, how I was feeling and mm -hmm. how bad a place I was in. It, it was just like a weight was off and I wasn't too ashamed of it anymore. So yeah. I could put it into my songwriting because the people that mattered knew and they wouldn't judge me for it, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Um, and I guess it's that way, once you put something out there, you do understand it a bit more it's just not as scary and it's not I don't know it's not this big complicated thing like you make it mm -hmm. in your head so I definitely used everything I was feeling in my songwriting 
because I guess you kind of hope that other people will understand as well. And mm -hmm. still, I'm very heart on my sleeve with the songs that I'm writing now, even though I'm like a good 20, 30 songs down the line. Yeah. Like, um, I'm, I just like to write something that means a lot mm -hmm. to me. Fuel to the Flame, probably a good one to talk about. I sent it to my pal last night. He's away working offshore. Uh, he listened to it and he said that it completely stopped him in his tracks. Oh my God. Uh, and he said you could feel a wee bit of something. The way I would describe it, I'll, I'll basically paraphrase what he said because I think the same. The melody itself is amazing. So if you took the lyrics away, you're like, oh, I love that. It's really nice. And then you. you could have been singing, the lyrics could just have been names for the phone book. And you'd be like, <laughs> that's an amazing voice to listen to. And there's that. But then there's just that something deeper where I think the, the lyrics, even though you're maybe not consciously. Like if you, if I listen to a line, you could say to me, "Gonna repeat that line back to me." I don't know if I could, um, but while you're listening, hold on, that sounds as if I don't know the words. I do know the words. But, <laughs> you don't need to worry if you don't. But, no, I do, I do, I do. But you know that way where you're just kind of zoning out, mm -hmm. so you're not fully thinking about what you're hearing, but it still is kind of, I don't know, it's striking a chord or it's resonating yeah. just somewhere sort of deeper. I think we, we really great songs and great lyrics it does that you're not really too sure what they actually are meaning but you just know it's kind of striking a chord somewhere deeper does that make sense or? yeah it definitely does mm. it definitely does that's kind of what I wanted with Feel to the Flame to be honest the song did kind of fall out of me but like once I listened back I was like well I hope like, I hope this mm. resonates with people the way that, like, not like, oh, I love my own song, but it did resonate with me because everything I wrote meant something to me. Um, and it was quite deep. It was about that point where you kind of hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And once you're down there, you kind of realise that the only way's up. Like, it yeah. can only get better from there. And then at the very start of lockdown or just before, my papa passed away. So that kind of makes you think about how precious the time we have here is and then because of lockdown and everything mm -hmm. and you can't do anything with yourself you're like right what can I do to make the most of my time here and that mm -hmm. is just kind of what the song's about and I think a lot of people can relate to that I hope so absolutely it's such a great track actually let's Thank listen you. to a wee bit of it now uh, and once you've listened to it go and get it downloaded here's <laughs> fuel to the flame
So that's Fuel to the Flame by Rianne Downey. Stand My Ground is a new single coming at the 26th of March. What can you tell me about that? It's obviously not available to listen just yet, but it'll be out <laughs> in a few days. So Stand My Ground, it's a bit more, I guess you could say, like, feisty than yeah. um, Fuel to the Flame. Um, I, I guess you could describe it. I keep hitting it with the cheesy, cheesy quotes, but um, it's like a kind of musical middle finger eh, like people that I guess it's like we were talking about earlier like the west of Scotland sort yeah. of thing or just like anybody that's kind of questioned you mm-hmm. or put you down whether that's been like in the musical side of things or just in like throughout my life it's a middle finger to them and being mm-hmm. like look I can hold my own and I can do this and I don't I don't need anybody really Aye. like to do what I want to do. It sounds a wee bit like an evolutionary process for you say being at the sort of rock bottom coming back up using that to sort of propel yourself artistically and now I at a point where you're kind of looking back and thinking aye fuck you <laughs> <laughs> which you need a wee bit of that sort of edge uh, in terms of touring what have been your touring experiences um in general, like in terms of where you were performing and just what, again, that's another step up. You're like, fuck, this actually really is very real. Like this is happening. It's dead surreal actually looking back on all the tours that mm-hmm. I've done. I've been very lucky with the things that I've been like kind of given and the way that things have worked out because the first like, the first proper like big gigs and kind of tour that I went on was with Jerry Cinnamon. Mm-hmm. I played the Barrowlands, which was part of his Scottish tour um, in 2018. And I was on support. Um, I was the first slot, which was mental. And then it went on to Amsterdam that next January. Um, that was in the Paradiso in the Milkwig. And that was just mental. Again, I'm so yeah. grateful to... I'm so grateful to Jerry for giving me that opportunity and seeing potential in me. And then from there, I supported Dylan John Thomas um, on his UK headline tour and at King Tut's in Glasgow, which was absolutely class as well. And then from there, Dylan took me with him while he was supporting Jerry Cinnamon and Liam Gallagher. Um, and I joined him to sing Jackson. Yeah. So that again that was mental your two voices together for singing that are just perfect for it because <laughs> there's a, obviously the the original song which everybody's so familiar with is such a, a distinct combination of voices and while you two are mimicking June Carter and Johnny Cash there is a similarity you can't pay a, I don't you can pay a higher compliment than that there is <laughs> a there, Thank a, you. there is a similarity but also in your own sort of unique way and when you hear that you're like fuck like this is <laughs> like amazing I think I've still got a video you singing that on my phone actually um I mean so many questions there we'll talk about you know with Jerry obviously Jerry Cinnamon very well established now that he came up in a similar fashion busking you know building up an audience, playing in the back of lorries, to then selling out pubs and clubs and massive venues. How how um, valuable and vital was his support for you coming through and also as a visible pathway to where you could go and, you know, are now going? Jerry, definitely. He's someone that has always, always believed in me um, and that definitely helped me along the way because he is, although he was someone I was like, 
friends with he was someone that I looked up to mm -hmm. because well I think most like solo musicians especially especially Scottish singer songwriters as well look up to him because he has paved the way for Aye. people that are unsigned or people that are independent or are just wanting to do their own thing and do it for the sake of doing it and loving it how it appears to me for him is that before Jerry Cinnamon there, there might be people who will disagree with us, but I, I really firmly believe it. Before him, there was no such thing as being an unsigned artist without PR or, you know, people really plugging your music. There was no such thing as getting to those levels. You had to be in the club. You had to be in the circle. You had to be part of this sort of accepted gang. And it's as if he's done it in spite of those people or those things. I'm not saying they're, ba they're particularly bad, but... To, to go and do that and to go and achieve that is just is ridiculous you know to be selling at the Barrowland was it not unsigned but selling at the Barrowland yeah still unsigned and selling out Hamden still unsigned fucking hell <laughs> did you think he just will just refuse to ever sign to anybody now as a point of principle I think he, he doesn't need to no, he and if you can nah. do it on your own then that might must, as well must nobody be, to answer to yeah that must be even more satisfying <laughs> to, to be able to do that with a, like just a proper two fingers up like fuck you I'll do it myself <laughs> um, I mean as well supporting like being around Liam Gallagher and stuff and wh what is that like? Well I, I never actually got to meet Liam Gallagher oh, did you know? No no um, but even just being in the same building as him <laughs> backstage I'm like that oh my god yeah, um, But I met Bonehead so I did. He seems to be someone that's very supportive of young young artists. What's he like? Oh, he was so lovely. He definitely is like dead supportive of new music and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he came into our dressing room, and Dylan like walked over and introduced himself. But like they kind of knew who each other were. And then I walked over and put my hands out, and I was like, "Hi, yeah, I'm Rianne. And he was like, "Oh, I know who you are." And when he said that, I swear to God, I nearly melted. <laughs> like, I nearly just fell to <laughs> no the floor. Wonder. I think that's a sign of a proper great somebody because it can be quite easy if somebody feels threatened or there's somebody coming up behind them. Um, they can often go one or two ways and be a bit dismissive and mm -hmm. be a bit like, nah, nah, don't be taking my place. Um, and he strikes me as being somebody that, that is really supportive. Um, Gordon Smart, actually, I should probably give him a mention at this point. He's somebody who's who is that in a positive sense, where he'll constantly back people. Um, I'll, I'll you know share his question. He's got a question for you. He says, "Who was more of a nuisance in the Groucho, McDonald, Dylan, or Downey, <laughs> or was it all three of the above?" What do you think? I don't. I think I'm just a quiet guy. Keep myself to myself. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> um. That's a hard question. I mean, Dylan's a character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah um, But uh, to be honest, I think we all had a wee bit of a part to play that aye, night. Aye. Although I, I've blacked out. The last thing I remember is being in that smoking area. And, uh, next oh, night, the rooftop bar. Aye, aye. Very, very good night. Aye, there you go, Gordon. It was all three of us. <laughs> you mentioned King Tut's. It would be a dream to, to, uh, to play there one day or to headline your own gig. Do you think that's do you think that's close? You're allowed to say you think it's close. You're allowed to you're allowed to say you think it's doable. I'm not saying there's anything uh, in the works yet, but you've got your dream big, don't you? You definitely do, and aye, it's it's definitely coming. Mm, it's yeah. coming. Oh yeah, I would, I would keep my eye out. Now you never know. You might have an <laughs> announcement at some point, but we're not seeing anything. Um, in terms of there was something really interesting. Your uh, was it booking agent for? over in Nashville and here as well. Let's talk through yes. that because that's really exciting. 
Um, so I'm working with Paradigm Agency, mm-hmm. and so I've got two two agents. This is like, this is just mental talking about this. <laughs> is it not either side of the Atlantic as well? <laughs> <laughs> so I've got one agent that's like based in Nashville, and then another agent that's based in like London, Europe. Yeah, and um, Ollie. I think I'm allowed to mention their name. I'm sure I'm allowed oh, to aye, mention aye. their name. So Ollie, he um, is the same booking agent. Is that how you worded it? Yeah, he's, he, he's the he's, booking agent. Uh, over. He's a bu- booking agent for Jake Bug. Wow, which Amazing. is crazy. Um, like Jake Bug was like one of the reasons I proper started playing guitar when wow. I was like 13, 14. I was like, who is this guy? This is well yeah. cool. So. Again, it's it's well cool that I'm, <laughs> that I'm working with Ollie and um, Mike. He is a booking agent for Billie Eilish in Europe. Wow! So it's like two of the best agents in the world. I, you're an amazing company, but they're obviously, you know, you're, you're involved or they're working with you for a reason because there obviously there is massive potential. What do you think about the potential for a collaboration with either of those artists? It can't <laughs> be it can't be a million miles off. I mean, you never know. You never well, know that. Honestly, to to work with Jake Bug, that would be the absolute dream. That would definitely be the dream. Would you like to go and cut your teeth in Nashville a wee bit? Oh, perform aye. over there. Definitely. Um, Johnny Cash and then like Dolly and yeah, like that's who I've like proper grown up with. Um, mm. and they're like my my gods. That's who I. Worship. Will you being Scottish as well? I think they would go absolutely mad for you over there. Just talk. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> See if an idiot like me can get a good reception in America just for having a Scottish accent than somebody who's a very very talented performer would get a, an even greater reaction. <laughs> you never know. There, there's absolutely nothing to stop you. Uh, I've got another question for Craig Murphy. Top man, uh, big fan of yours. He's mm. asking who is your favourite country artist. You have kind of answered that. But... Yeah, um, definitely Johnny Cash mm-hmm. and Dolly Parton. Yeah, they're my favourites. Dolly Parton just constantly surprises me as well with how <laughs> sound she is. Like I know there's like there's nothing you like, can say that's bad about uh, her. Like paying for people's um, like paying people's salaries, I suppose, wages during the pandemic. Yeah. Donating money for the vaccine. Having like basically our own vaccine. Right, uh, you you'll know this, um, but a, a lot of people won't. Dolly Parton, on the same day that she wrote Jolene, also wrote "I Will Always Love You," which yeah. was later covered by Britney Spears. Uh, Britney, Britney Spears. <laughs> Whitney Houston. I'm gonna be fucking dead. Whitney Houston in a minute. What already? Britney Spears. <laughs> fucking hell. No <laughs> <Any> difference. <laughs> um, uh, Whitney Houston. I thought Whitney Houston wrote that. Oh, did you? I until just recently. And uh, actually, I think Dolly Parton's version is a million times better. Well, I'm biased, but I definitely think so, especially mm-hmm. because it's it's came from her as well. Um, I think that would surprise a lot of people, but... <coughs> like, no end to your talents. Imagine writing no limits. <laughs> two of the greatest songs ever written in the space of one day. I know. She must have been like, oh, fuck it, I may as well just write another like worldwide timeless <laughs> classic. Uh there was something I was going to ask you there, but I'll, I'm going to dive, revert back to a question that I missed. Um, to go back to lockdown and and sort of hating life and all that, you've really stepped up your, um, you know, putting out music, just videos of you performing. People are going absolutely mad for them. Like the response that you've had for, for people has been unbelievable. How how reaffirming has that been for you? It's definitely kept me going through all of this. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting the reception I got um, because you do you see people put up covers and let like, people love them in that moment but then it kind of 
dies down mm-hmm. and folk have just stayed with me Aye. and the more covers I'm putting out the more people love it and the more new people love it and um, the more people are like I guess like dedicated to me like I'd, I'd not like fans I hate saying fans but like no, a wee support system sort of thing it's, you've got fans that's what they are they're people who enjoy your music yeah. and you love them so that that's one of the things I like about you you've got the star quality but you don't have the star ego you're kind of reluctant to say my fans oh. my followers <laughs> are in it but you know another thing that seems people seem to really like is your level of engagement you know we were kind of talking about yeah. earlier if somebody gets in touch to say they enjoy your music you'll get back to them and thank them won't you yeah definitely because without everybody that's supported me and left comments even liked my videos or mm-hmm. gave me a follow like I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing right now and be able to do what I love for a living and the fact that people take time out their day to like give me a compliment or like Aye. say how much like my covers or my songs mean to them like that means a world to me. I'm so, so, so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And the least I can do is like, acknowledge the fact that they've done that. I think Aye. it's like so special that people do that. Your mum, Lorraine, is a massive fan of yours <laughs> as well. We had to give her a mention. Um, how how proud do you think she is? Because if you, you know, you're her, I suppose, her baby, she's always yeah. going to see you that way. How does she feel seeing you getting all this praise and the BBC are coming and doing we documentaries on you and you know how how is that for her does she love it oh aye she absolutely loves it ride on your coattails <laughs> <laughs> to be fair I'll let my mum ride on my coattails she's <laughs> helped right. me get there aye. um but like every day that like, it's like another reason to celebrate she's always so like buzzing and especially because she has been so supportive like mm-hmm. all along I think it must be dead rewarding for her to see that like, that things are happening but she does say to me all the time she's like I know how I feel so I can't imagine right. how you feel um but like my mum's my best pal so like me and her are like constantly like I'd at like once once a week for like the last couple of months we've been like screaming over like something exciting <laughs> that's happened <laughs> What has been what have been the sort of standouts over the last week? There's obviously loads, but you know, talk me through ones that maybe we've not touched on. So I guess the kind of the kind of starting point would be when I signed with Run On Records and Modern mm. Sky because that was the at that point I was like, right, I'm a musician now, yeah. like I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm doing this. Um, and then like finding out I was going to go and record in Parsh Street down in Liverpool wow. with James Skelly. That that was absolutely amazing as well and the fact that like every song that I've written and recorded has been written by only me mm-hmm. um, even still I go onto Spotify and I look at the song credits and it just says Rianne Downey and I'm like whoa how, yes. like, how have I done that um, and then oh, there's just so many things the next thing would definitely be signing with well not signing working with Paradigm yeah. um, and when I saw Jake Bogg and Billie Eilish it was mental Um there's been loads as well. Ricky Gervais, I absolutely love Ricky Gervais. He's like he's also like a god to me. Yeah. Um, and he liked a video that I done of his, um, his song Free Love Freeway. Hold on a minute. <laughs> Hold on a minute. I wish I wish this was visual so you could see my my <laughs> no, your jaw just my dropped. jaw just hit the deck. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Right. Free Love Freeway is one of the best songs ever even I, for a joke it, it totally is I. there's a video of me uh, down the beach in Barcelona with my mate Dean Brown on a night out and I was a busker and I gave him like 10 euros to get his guitar and I very terribly played the guitar and sang Free Love Freeway <laughs> and then I was like she's dead and then my mate goes no nah, 
and my mate shouted, she's dead. Now she's not dead. And the wee busker didn't know what we were talking about, but he's jumped forward in my defence and we're like, she's not dead. Oh, no. Like, mate, you don't know what we're talking about, but thanks anyway. <laughs> thanks saw. for backing me up. Ricky Gervais likes a video. How, how did I miss, how did I miss you singing Free Love Free Because that's one of my favourite songs. Oof, I don't, I, I don't know. Don't you know, can't answer but... that. I don't know how I missed that and Ricky Gervais liked it. That's so funny. I know, I didn't find out till it was like, a good couple of months down the line and um, my pal messaged me like, oh, I saw Ricky Gervais liked your video, that's dead good. And I was like, wait, what? what? <laughs> so I sat on Ricky Gervais's profile going down all his likes for like, <laughs> it been like over four months and then I found it and oh, like, I was literally running about the house screaming and my mum and dad were like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I was like, Ricky Gervais liked my video. <laughs> Bro, Ryan, get the guitar. I know. <laughs> absolutely obsessed with the office it's been it finished about 20 years ago and me and my pals still quote it every single day we need to get a new part but it just <laughs> it never stops being funny um, that's absolutely amazing Ricky's of like in your video that's so cool um, any you've, you've got quite a few sort of well known fans who else I suppose Connie McLaughlin yeah. tell us what happened with, with Connie so Connie Followed me and then gave me a mail on Twitter and asked me to play at our wedding. That's so cool. That, that is so, so cool, isn't it? Like, it's a shame <laughs> you weren't getting an invite to the Italian. It was meant to be in Italy last year. Sorry, Connie, if I'm just pure revealing your intimate details about your, about your <laughs> wedding, but I'm assuming it's public knowledge. I hope it is that I'm going to get an angry text. Um, it's, through, it's through Edinburgh, isn't it? That's, yeah, yeah, Edinburgh. That's great. That's... Um, I, I genuinely think in a few years they'll be running about telling people no way Rianne Downey played at her wedding now look at her she's headlining uh, Transmitter Glastonbury <laughs> um, another question this is quite a good question I think for Jim Smith um, is asking if you've got any books you'd recommend and I suppose over lockdown did yeah. you do any reading over lockdown? I've done a wee bit to be honest I'm not much of a, a, a reader I I just listen to music all the mm. time. Listen right. to music and watch The Office. <laughs> there, there's your answer, Jim. She said, piss off. I don't read it. It's a lot of shit. I do have one, actually. Um, do you know, I can't even remember the name of the author. It's Mark something, but it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving oh, a I, um, Mark. Oh, fuck. Is it Mark Moran? No. I've got that. Let's sting me just now. <laughs> I've got that book on there. Uh, well, I got it in the audiobook. Uh, Mark Manson. Mark Manson. Yeah, Mark Moran does a podcast. Uh, so I'm, not, I'm not giving a fuck. It's quite good, that, isn't it? Uh, it's a dead good book. It's not, let's say, like you get like self help books like The Secret and all that, and it's all law attraction and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It, I guess it's just like cutting out all the bullshit, and it's Aye. just like, right, this is how you can control stop the controllable. Uh, control the controllable and don't worry too much uh, about what you can control. <sighs> this is quite, a, I mean, this is a pure open question, and it's like just putting the burden of um, explanation onto you, but. What do you see or what would you like to see over the coming year? Because look over the last 12 months, the world's at a standstill. It's stopped st- turning. It's The world is, a, I keep saying, a cataclysmic binfire of a situation that doesn't seem to be going out anytime soon. But you're making these massive strides. You know, you're achieving all sorts. You're picking up momentum. How do you see the next 12 months going or how would you like to see them going? Oh, that's, that is a mental question because... It took for the world to stop for, like, this is going to be another cheesy quote. It took for the world to stop for my world to kind of start, no, I guess totally, you could say. Um, and I guess everything is dead uncertain, but I just hope over the next year that everything continues to grow and that I play um, a lot of live gigs. I've got live gigs coming up 
and I'm dead excited for them and hopefully once I've played them the hype will start to get bigger mm. and I'll release more songs and I just want to keep doing this as a living and let, I want my songs to mean a lot to more and more people so mm-hmm. aye. no I, I, I it's funny saying that there is a V element of cheesiness about it you know, the world had to stop for years to start but I totally get it I feel like for all of us to an extent I'm not downplaying the, the hurt and the pain and the loss and all that that this situation has brought that's you know that's the overriding acknowledgement but if you're trying to find positives in the negative or a wee bit of light in the darkness it's that maybe a lot of us or most of us were kind of plodding along and it gave us a chance to stop and really sort of reassess or realign our priorities and think what really matters or who's really important to me or what what is really important in life and um, I hope as we fucking come out of this pure never-ending nightmares where it feels like that when the world does get going that we can sort of retain those things that we've learned it could be a wee small thing or I don't know it could be realising I need to spend more time with my family or, mm-hmm. or who to cut out or who to include more and uh, I think you'll just keep picking up momentum and it's just a case of like I said to you the tipping point and you just get yeah. to the point where you know it is impossible not to notice you or not to hear you or to, to ignore you or whatever it is and uh, I think it'll be I think it's going to be an exciting 12 months so if we can just get a guarantee here and now when you're too big for me, I'll get you. We'll get you back in twelve. <laughs> we'll get you back in twelve months to just kind of go over it and be like, see, see, we predicted it. We, <laughs> we knew it would happen. This has been uh, this has been a, a real pleasure, and I'm glad to have had you in to to kind of talk about all these things. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure for me. I'm honoured to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, not the honour's mine. The links to Rianne's um, music and social media as always, is available in the episode notes, but if you also want to just give a wee readout of where people can find you so they can go directly there. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Apple and Music, Spotify. Apple Music. Oh, I am forgetting about the stuff I that actually... You're, you're <laughs> a musician, you know. <laughs> um, so you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, just all the kind of streaming platforms. Yep. Um, and my name is Rianne Downey. R-I-A-N-N-E because I've got a weird spelling. <laughs> and don't you fucking forget it, all right? <laughs> Thanks very much for listening uh, and we'll catch you for another episode of Bleathered soon. Cheers. Bleathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media. You could start a fight in an empty house. Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.